With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 148. Oh, my gosh. We just had this, like, whole discussion. Seconds ago. Episode 148 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) We did. We literally had a discussion Seconds before I hit the record button to figure out the episode number, and mm-hmm. I just totally—that's okay. Didn't I, again. I feel it's always fun. I love listening to podcasts where the hosts, especially if there's more than one, will do exactly what we do. Where we're like, "How are you doing today? I'm doing great." And it's just like this fake mask that all podcasts <laughs> do, pretending that the two people who are talking into microphones uh. haven't just been sitting in a room together for several minutes ahead of time. It's like. Yeah. You know, it's not like when you press record, I open the door and I'm like ringing your do- doorbell like, oh, my God, Jill, you're here. Well, I guess we should talk. We should do that. <laughs> we should do that. Oh, man, that's fantastic. <laughs> OK, so just to clarify, this is episode 148. You also knew that if you downloaded it because we write it down on the name of the episode. We do. OK. So. Tell us about today's episode, Adam. I would love to, Jill. Uh, So today's episode is an interview I did with author Jack Gantos. I interviewed him back at Book Expo America in New York City. Uh, Jack writes for all ages. The book we're talking about for this particular episode is called Writing Radar, uh, which is really cool. It's a book for young readers that talks about how to become a writer. And it's awesome tips that not only young readers, but adult readers who want to become writers could take just little things like he always has notebooks on him always 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 and he always takes notes about things that are going on around him so that maybe later on in in his life those things will become part of a book um there's just lots of fun little tips that even as you know an adult reader who is an aspiring writer i took some stuff out of um but the thing about him is if you listen to him talk you would just assume that he's a, a wonderful writer and a great human being but his life is was crazy he uh we actually we were looking out over when we were in book expo america we were in the javits center and if anyone knows anything about the javits center it's right by the um the hudson river and we happened to be sitting in this really awesome space where we were looking out over the hudson river and uh, jack was arrested when he was in his early or in his late teens uh, for basically somebody came up to him and said that they would pay him a lot of money to go on a ship and take a trip down to, I think it was Cuba, and basically, like, traffic drugs for them. And I had no, like, I knew about that sort of, and I asked him if he would be willing to talk about it because he wrote a whole book about it for adults. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And, in fact, we're looking out over the Hudson River. That was where we, like, set sail on this journey. Yeah. So in addition to talking about writing Radar, he gave me kind of his life story. Um, just a fascinating human being. So he... I had a chance to actually have lunch with him before we talked, so I got a whole bunch of background on him, and I really, he's really cool. I like him a lot. So, yeah, um, Jack Antos, writing Radar, he tells his whole life story. It's good stuff. So, uh, if people want to get a hold of us and have feedback, how can they find us? 
They can find us on Twitter at ProBookNerds, and they can email us directly at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And one last thing about Jack. Um, if you are a teacher or someone who works with young children or a librarian that is helping young kids maybe aspire to be a reader or a writer, go to his website. It's jackgantos.com. Uh, he has all sorts of fun information on there and just a lot of really great resources for aspiring writers and also young readers and adult readers as well. So just a quick plug for his website. Um, anything else you can think of? Yeah, I'm just thinking about with that intro, how we used to record intros like 10 times. Yeah. Perfect in the very beginning. We, well, yeah, I think we were so worried about making sure that we had like the proper voice and everything was going well. And now I actually uh, think the intros we're just are just like, whatever. I think the intros that we mess up are more fun because it, you know, people know we're, we're, there's always this thing with Overdrive where I do a lot of our communication and I'm always pushing like, hey, let's make sure people know that we're real human beings behind the company. I don't think anyone ever has to worry about you and I <laughs> being real human beings because no. we are constantly messing up all sorts of stuff. Yet people still listen to us. So thank you. Messing up stuff on the podcast. On the podcast. We do our jobs very well. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good <laughs> clarification. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Should we talk about anything else before no, we I... should just go. Yep. We should just... Okay. Well, guys, as always, we have derailed... <laughs> Good job by us. But anyway, I hope you still enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. (laughs) Hi, everyone. This is Adam again from Team Overdrive. And today I'm joined by Jack Gantos, who has written... Uh, dozens of books for readers of all ages, ranging from picture books and middle grade fiction all the way through novels for young adults and adults as well. As a lifelong storyteller, Jack has written dozens of books and now he's sharing his secrets to becoming a great writer in his latest book, Writing Radar, Using Your Journal to Snoop Out and Craft Great Stories. So first off, Jack, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. And can you give our listeners a bit of an idea as to what Writing Radar is when they open it up? Hmm. Writing Radar is a combination of many things, but I think the first thing with any writer is, well, what am I going to write about? Mm -hmm. So the first thing we address in Writing Radar is, where do you get the content? Where do you get the ideas? Mm -hmm. Where do you get the stuff, (laughs) you know, to put down on your page? Because everybody is fairly terrified of a blank page and you know it's not long before everybody's thinking well nothing interesting ever happens to me I don't know the good stuff happens to somebody else and so you kind of back your way out of writing but with writing radar what I want you to do is just remember really basically that the world around you Mm -hmm. is very interesting the world you're living in not only the physical world but the interior world, the emotional world, because that's 50% of a really good story, right. is the interior of your life. And so just to pause, mm-hmm. take a moment, and consider where you live and the richness mm-hmm. which can be found there. And something, so peek behind the curtain for everyone listening, Jack and I have gotten to hang out a little bit today. We got to share lunch together. Mm-hmm. And so something I noticed you doing while we were at lunch is you like to doodle. You'll you'll draw, you signed a very lovely copy of your book with a gorgeous skull in the inside for me and you were just you were signing things for everybody else and I know one of the the things you talk about in the book is having a journal with you so that you can just kind of 
take notes and, and be aware of what's what's surrounding you. So I completely agree 100%. And I think is that kind of maybe one of the biggest secrets to being able to tell a story is just being aware of what's around you and having access to something to write it down? Yes. I, I, I you know, I don't mean to sound kind of basic mm -hmm. or, you know, have basic sound like it's simple, but it's just, it's just practical common sense mm -hmm. that, that you walk around with a small notebook in your pocket yeah. or a packet of post-it notes, mm -hmm. but that's something that could go inside, let's say, a jeans yeah. back pocket, like a little moleskin, right. you know, journal, and then a pen, mm -hmm. okay? And all you're doing all day long is basically when you have a good thought, you just jot it down. Mm -hmm. When you overhear something that's interesting, you jot it down. You take a few quick notes, or if you have a great drawing in mind, uh -huh. you just jot it down. At the end of the day, you actually have quite a, a nice collection yeah. of startup ideas. Uh -huh. You may not have written a story, mm -hmm. but what you have are these little moments of insight yeah. that are pocket doors mm -hmm. to enter the story. I love, that's such a good way to, of thinking of it. And I, and I feel like half of a story, if not more, is being aware of the things that surround you and, and being able to add those in. I think a really good author, I think anyone can tell a story, but a, a truly good storyteller can give it life and flavor. And like a perfect example, I was in um, a bar in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago. Yes. And it's called Nine Fine Irishmen, and it's a lovely little Irish pub. And on the walls, it like... 15, 20 feet in the air, there's these little tiny Irish heads. There's nine of them, and they're supposed to be Irish authors. And I was looking up at them at this bar at like two in the morning when everyone else is kind of dancing around me. And I was looking up and I was like, I wonder how many people come into this bar and ever look up and like look around. And right. like a perfect example is right now we're sitting next to a beautiful river and it's a lovely day. And like, I think a lot of people just don't realize having something, like you said, as simple as a journal or, or notes just with you to be able to like jot that down like it was a cloudy day and there were you know a guy riding a bike and just little stuff like that and then you can tell your story that way you can definitely tell your story that way i think that sometimes the physical icons or the physical things that you're looking at um you know allow you to sort of riff mm -hmm. on them i mean just the idea of the, the nine little irish right. writers heads up there mm -hmm. you know that they're headless first yeah. off yeah exactly <laughs> you know and so you know they're dead mm -hmm. but but of course the reputation lives on yeah you know but who's paying attention to them well you're paying attention right. to them. why are you paying attention because you like writing and you know and before long you know you're sort of teasing out mm -hmm. like an essay or a thought or, or a complete idea and so there's that sort of thing when I'm sitting here by by the Hudson and uh, so I used to sail mm -hmm. on on the Hudson. Yeah. In fact, I got into trouble sailing on the Hudson. <laughs> yes. Well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, if you don't mind. No, 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 not at all. And and so, you know, I was looking out the window earlier, mm -hmm. and I was just recalling these things. So I, I think that basically, when you look at writing radar, you're looking at gathering material, mm -hmm. and then how to organize material. Because honestly, you know, it, it to keep it to try and keep it simple. I think you need raw material, and then you need to refine the raw material and polish it. Yeah. Something, and, and I mean, we should, we should point out, you know, this book, is, you've written it for middle grade students, but again, and I told you this earlier, I'm 31, I took things out of it that I almost didn't realize were so obvious but so essential. You talk about something that we both shared, and I want you to kind of talk about it, and it's in the book, um, but 
sitting around a, a family room, a family dinner, oh. and getting some stories. Can you just kind of share how that happened when you were oh. younger? Oh, sure. So, so um, I had an older sister and two two younger brothers, mom and dad, and uh, so we'd have dinner every night. Mm-hmm. You know, we were that sort of family, and uh, and so my mom, my mom was just would sort of dispatch people in a certain way. So. You know, every night you never knew my mom would be serving the food, and she'd go, Jack, tell me about your day. Mm -hmm. And so you, she would actually put you on stage. Mm -hmm. You know, it was your turn to tell the story of your day. So even if you didn't have a big day, like something momentous, well, I got up and I did this, I went to school and I forgot this, and you know, and so on. We'd had this. Mm-hmm. conversation tussle and and then suddenly you're like oh yes <laughs> I remember and you know and then you tell that finally you run out of material boom it's somebody else's turn somebody else's turn and I used to keep my journal on my lap mm-hmm. because those moments were incredibly rich getting all the details and my dad was like the cleanup hitter <laughs> you know like like the kids would have the minor stories and my dad would just like uh-huh. knock it out of the park oh, that's you know so a funny. big old dad story I I'm the same way. I, I I told you earlier. I'm the youngest of four, so there are six of us, and usually there are even more at the dinner table than that. In fact, the first time my wife, my then girlfriend, came to a dinner at my house, there was 14 people there, and there was three different types of dinners set up because my sister has celiac, so she can't have gluten, and I have another sister who has diabetes, so no sugar in her food. And my my wife now looked at the dinner table and was like, "What is the special occasion?" And I just said dinner. Because that's how our, our, all of our experiences were. But you're absolutely right. There's so many. Even today, I can remember stories that my siblings, my siblings would tell, and all of the like, tasting bad foods and trying to make each other be grossed out yeah. by stuff, things like that. Just there's so many memories that you can pull from even just something as simple as as simple as as simple as dinner. And the other thing that dinner makes you do it. it, it you know, with those kinds of conversations, it makes you reprise your day. It makes mm-hmm. you recall your day. And so when you're you're telling something, like if somebody laughs mm-hmm. at something you say, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that was funny. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'll use that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and if somebody's like, oh, that's disgusting, you're like, yeah, I could use that. And so they're your first audience. Yeah. You know, be, even before you write the story, you're like doing stand up uh-huh. around the table. Then you take that material. And then you, you know, you start working on your first draft. Something else in here that you have is, uh, you talk about kind of drawing a map. Of, oh yeah. Of your, really like your neighborhood or also your house and the different things in there. Um, a, can you talk about that a little bit? And sure. B, do you still do that for stories that you write today? I always, um, I always do draw things out. Well, let me just back up. Yeah. To um, what you mentioned. So, so here was the thing. You know, so I had a journal, mm-hmm. honestly, and I just had no traction whatsoever. I had an older sister that was like 10 times smarter than I was. <laughs> she had a journal. She could do anything with a journal and, and write, talk. You mm-hmm. know, she was the straight-A student, and I was really, you know, the bum of the family mm-hmm. and stumbling around. And so, uh, I don't know. I got a journal, and then I just couldn't get anything done in it. And and I always worked in the library because I was always the new kid in school. We mm-hmm. moved a lot. And I would always work in the library shelving books because the librarian, if you were a reader, right. the librarian would take good care of you. And so I had, uh, I was shelving uh, in the F section, Fitzhugh, and I came across Harriet the Spy. And it was on the cover, Harriet 
is holding a journal. Right. And I was like, whoa, what's she doing? <laughs> I'm doing nothing. So I thought, read the book. <laughs> so <laughs> use your head. So I read it and it was like genius. All she did was walk around the neighborhood, spy on people, write it down. I'm like, why didn't somebody tell me this is the secret to writing? So um, I got my journal and my bicycle, and I rode around my neighborhood, mm -hmm. drawing everybody's house and all the trees and every, cars right. and everything, and, and drew it all out. And then I had a master map mm -hmm. in my room and that I would add to all year long. And then that's where I would pull the stories. You know, at, at the Pagoda family, you know, this, these are the things, that, the dangerous things that happen. Yeah. And then at my house, you know, this is where I threw up on the wall. This is where I <laughs> broke my brother's arm. This is where my dog was eaten by an alligator. You know, yeah. this is all of these sort of things. And, and before long, you know, you, you actually had like 20 mm -hmm. really reliable little anecdote yeah. stories. So that's where that notion came to me that, you know, that, that, that when you hear this phrase, seeing is believing, mm -hmm. like for me as a kid, yeah. that was totally true. When I drew it on a map, I was like, whoa, it's I real. That. I can see it, I can write it. That's incredible. Um, so having a journal always with you and always taking notes and jotting little things down, I'm just curious, because you have the type of brain seeming that is very perceptive of everything around you, do you ever stop thinking about stories? Do you, are you ever able to kind of like turn off your radar, so to speak, and just take those small details and you know I don't want to say take them for granted but you know does there, ever, does there ever come a point in your day where you're just like all right Jack no more no more deep thinking about everything surrounding me hmm I don't know the, the deep thinking part you know <laughs> I, I don't know if I actually have that mm -hmm. um but there are times when uh when when you're not asking yourself to be perceptive in the in a way that you're looking for writing details but at the end of the day I mean normally you kind of just re, you know think back on your day a little bit and there's always like you know the, I mean when the wave washes up on the beach there's always something left yeah, behind right. to take a look at and there's always a, a couple little things I can add and also this and I find this uh, is, is, is very true for me if I just say to myself, like, let's just say it, it has not been the greatest writing day. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I say to myself, Jack, just, just write 10 minutes in your journal. Mm -hmm. Just 10. You know, look at your watch. 10 minutes. Go. Just write anything. Yeah. Free write. Before long, something kind of pops up. Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's like sometimes you can't force yourself mm -hmm. to discover it. Sometimes you open the journal because you don't know what you're going to do. You open the journal because the magic of the nib of the pen on the page sort of yeah. creates, like a genie creates this, this idea. And, and you can find things that way that are unconscious, mm -hmm. that consciously you would never have found. So how did you become, like I said, I know you've, you've written books for people of all ages, but children specifically how did you become a children's book writer did you always want to tell stories for for up you know upcoming readers or is that something that you just found that was a group you were able to connect with I think I found that it was a group I was able to connect with mm -hmm. but also I have to say that you know I wanted to write books mm -hmm. and I was of course thinking you know poetry and, and, and novels and short stories but I you know for some reason I had sort of 
skipped over in my mind becoming a children's book mm -hmm. writer. I don't know why. Maybe I just didn't pay that much attention. I read a lot of books, but I just didn't yeah. see myself going there. And then when I was in college, and then I was writing a lot of different kinds of books, and then I met Nicole Rubel, who was the illustrator of the Rotten Ralph books. We met at a party. I, she was at the museum school illustrating. I was at Emerson writing. Mm -hmm. And I said, let's team up and do picture books. Yeah. Boom. And before long, we started doing that. And then I realized the more I looked into children's literature, mm -hmm. the richness of the literature yeah. itself, the great characters, the great stories. And it's every bit as demanding and every bit as rich and captivating mm -hmm. as, as, you know, adult novels or, you know, arcane poetry. And then, you know, you, you mentioned adult novels. Um, you, you talked about getting into a little bit of trouble while, you know, sailing on the Hudson. Yes. Um, I'm, I know that you won an award-winning book for the result of all of that, but would you mind kind of sharing? The story is, is incredible, oh. what happened to you and then what you turned everything into after the fact. So if you wouldn't mind sharing oh, kind sure. of what happened. Um, so, so there's a book, it's called A Hole in My Life, right. and it's a memoir. And it's uh, generally a YA book, an upper middle school YA book. And uh, so you can't miss the book because my, my mug shot right. is, is on the cover um, with my numbers, mm -hmm. you know, my, my prison numbers on it. So when I was in high school, um, I was going to go to uh, University of Florida. Mm -hmm. I graduated high school in Fort Lauderdale. And I went up to University of Florida, and I was really interested in literature, and I was very much interested in writing. But University of Florida really didn't have a writing program. Mm -hmm. and, and I was disappointed in that, and I thought, oh, heck with it. You know, I'll skip that. I can write on my own. Yeah. But I couldn't write on my own. I needed the, the community of writers, and I needed that instruction, and I needed some discipline, too. So... Um, so at any rate, my parents were living in St. Croix in the Virgin Islands mm -hmm. in those days. And so, so I moved down there and I was living at home and I was working construction in my dad's company during the day. And You know, you, it's hot, you're tired. Yeah. At home, you go home at night, you don't write a novel at <laughs> night. You just like pass out. Right. So, and I didn't have any money, any rate, to advance. Mm -hmm. So I met these nice guys down there and they said, look, we're looking for a nice boy. Uh, we have a boat. Mm -hmm. We have a sailboat with uh, 2,000 pounds of hashish. Uh, we need somebody to help sail it to New York City, and we'll give you $10,000 in cash. Yeah. Now, if you just think at that moment, in like 1970, $10,000 in cash is four years at Harvard. Yeah. Okay, it was a lot of money. Yeah. And so I was like, whoa, that's <laughs> the greatest thing I ever heard of mm -hmm. in my entire life. I said, sure. I didn't know how to sail at all, but nonetheless, <laughs> boom, after running aground several times. Yeah. We did. We made it up to New York. Mm -hmm. And we came right up here, where we're sitting. You can't see it, people that are listening, <laughs> but actually I'm looking right out on the Hudson River where we sailed the boat up the Hudson to the 79th Street dock up yeah. there. And they, um, the British people that owned the boat, they uh, distributed the, the hashish, mm -hmm. and uh, I was paid my $10,000 in cash, and then I was pretty much promptly arrested. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And then I went to court, and they gave me six years, six years in prison. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And I remember saying to the judge, but I'm a nice kid. Yeah. And the judge said, no, no you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I was like, oh, I guess so. And so um, I went to prison, and while I was there, I read a lot of books, mm -hmm. and I 
gave a lot of thought to what I was doing. And I had a great job. I worked in the hospital. I was very productive mm -hmm. when I was in prison. I kept journals when I was in prison. And uh, about a year and a half into it, I thought, you know, I've done enough of this. Yeah. I'm really tired and bored. And so I applied to college. Mm -hmm. And I got accepted to college. And so they let me out wow. to go to college. And so uh, I went right off to a writing program yeah. at, uh, at Emerson College in Boston. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, I published my first picture book. <laughs> do you think they would do that these, like nowadays? I, someone, obviously, you, know, you, you talked about you know, jokingly telling the judge, you know, but I was a good kid. But clearly while you're in, you were a, a model prisoner, as they would say, I suppose. Like, do you, do you think they would let people out these days to say, like, I'm going to college, and they'll be like, okay, well, we're just going to take four years of your, of your... of your, We'll cut off a little time for yeah. you. It's hard to say. Yeah. You know, several factors came into being, and I got lucky. I had a, a new young caseworker mm -hmm. in prison. Not one of the old guys that had been lied to 10,000 times yeah. and worn out, but this bright, new, shiny parole <laughs> officer, you know, like caseworker. And when he saw that I was, you know, eager and that, you know, I read books and mm -hmm. I kept journals and, you know, I'd have conversations yeah. with him, he knew that I, you know, that maybe I was a kid that he could take a chance sure. on. And they did. And then I finished my parole. Mm -hmm. And then so everything worked out just fine. Yeah. And because I finished a successful parole, then I have no record at all. Mm -hmm. So it was expunged because I was young. And, and that was that. So that book, though, when you read that book, what you will see is how the book, as it moves forward through the yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum mm -hmm. kind of storyline and the prison storyline, that it's filled with novels, it's filled with books, mm -hmm. and it's how the literature affected me at the time mm -hmm. and taught me things. And so not only is it, is it a, you know, a kind of an adventure story of sorts, <laughs> um, it's, it's also a story of, of literature and how literature affects your life. Do you remember some of the books specifically that kind of best help you pass the time while you're in there? Oh, you know, I could read Catcher in the Rye or, or Stop Time or A Thief's Journal or um, oh, um, The Car Thief by Ted Wiesner was a, was a great book. Mm -hmm. Then I remember reading Crime and Punishment, The Brothers Karamazov, you know, I would read Dickens, mm -hmm. you know, anything big and chunky you, oh, yeah. could, you could read, Melville. And so I was reading sort of both you know, the beats, uh -huh. and I was also reading the classics, and uh, and it really, I got a, a great reading education mm -hmm. there. You uh, you touched on some of it. I'm a huge Dickens fan, and I'm a mm -hmm. huge Dostoevsky fan. I actually, I think I've told this story to a few people before, but um, I've always loved Russian literature, and I have no idea why, and uh, my my grandmother, my, my dad's mother had uh, dementia when I was growing up so I never really knew her that well and then after she passed away like several years later they were selling her house and my aunt and uncles know that I'm a huge book nerd I do this for a living so obviously and they said do you want to go through grandmother's library before you know we get rid of some of this stuff I said of course and I got to go in and she had um, 100 and 125 year old copies of oh. it plays by Ibsen and crime and punishment and stuff by Tolstoy I was like I'm going I took every single last one of them and they're you know they're nothing they're not like valuable monetarily because you know they probably printed thousands of copies of that thing but they're incredibly valuable to me and they're falling apart they're so like ratty oh, but, but you, you said you just you touched on it a little when you said crime and punishment makes sense but um 
that was apropos of nothing. I just thought I would chill. No, no, no. Those books were uh, those mm. books were important. Yeah. Dostoevsky's a uh, a very powerful writer, mm -hmm. and he's always writing about people's interior lives and interior yeah. devils and, inter and and you know and things that that we humans right. really struggle with. Yeah. And uh, when you read it and you are struggling, <laughs> it becomes very apparent that the inter your interior life needs some sorting yeah. out. Um, okay, so Writing Radar, like yes. I said, it's a middle school uh, book and you've written tons of picture books in middle school grade and you know, we talked about how you know, Whole My Life is for young adults and you've written for adults. Yes. How do you, you know, a lot of people tend to stick to a genre or a, even a specific age. How do you, I guess, get your publisher to let you keep writing kind of different age brackets? Because I know that a lot of times they'll say, well, Jack, you're really hitting a, a really good groove with these middle grade. Like, how do you, how are you able to bounce back and forth and let people keep you doing that, I guess? You know, it's a, it's a really good question. And it's also a question I get a lot from other authors. Mm -hmm. And they ask that question because they are trapped. Right, they're kind of pigeonholed. Yeah, they get pigeonholed. So my first publisher, Hode Mifflin, when I started doing the Rotten Ralph picture books. Mm -hmm. So I would always say to my editor there, Walter Lorraine, Walter, I'm going to write novels. No, 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 no <laughs> novels. You're a picture book guy. And then, you know, I'd say, oh, I have this novel. No, I don't mm -hmm. want to see it. You know, so finally, you know, I had to, I had to push on. My editor, who I have, Wes Adams, I, uh, Wes and I have been together since 1992, mm -hmm. and I came to Wes with a book of short stories, and uh, we did it, mm -hmm. and uh, it was fairly successful, and then we did some more, and then we did the Joey Pigson novels, mm -hmm. and then we did uh, Whole of My Life, the YA book, which was very successful, and then we've done um, middle school mm -hmm. books. So I think what it is between between myself and Wes is we look at the quality of the idea. We don't, you know, we, we don't look at the marketing first. Mm -hmm. We look at the book first. Yeah. You look at the idea. And, and, and now at this point in my career, you know, I have books in all genres. Yeah. So now it's just, you know, for me, even when I'm sitting at home, I'm like, Jack, what are you going to write? <laughs> you know, I have to look at this range of ideas, everything from picture books to upper elementary mm -hmm. to middle to high school and I go okay what do I want to write and which is going to be the most challenging yeah thing, you know and then you know I get that idea I run it by Wes we kick it around and then boom I go at it I love that you just said you, you look at what will be the most challenging in the way, and that's such a great way to look at it and as someone who writes for a living that can be a great way to do it for people who maybe are aspiring writers and like I said this book is perfect for those people you kind of touched on this just a little bit before but you know when you're starting off writing and you have an idea it can feel easy you're you know you've got the words that are falling out of your brain and you're writing them down it's for aspiring writers they tend to give up when they hit a roadblock and they don't know mm -hmm. how to get around it so for you how do you overcome writer's block you know you, you talked about just doing free some free writing but what are some other ideas for maybe aspiring writers who don't know how to get around that massive wall it's it's uh sometimes you know there there is like a blank moment mm -hmm. you know uh, we don't want to talk about too much blockage and put too much credence sure. into it because a lot of people you know seize on that yeah um but i would say this that the, the, the one thing that i find is the best grease or best oil for mm -hmm. any kind of you know getting your thoughts moving 
in, uh, in a good cycle is reading. Yeah. So when I go to the library, I write my books uh, in the library, usually in the Boston Athenaeum or the Boston Public Library, and uh, I do uh, two hours of first draft writing, two hours of second draft writing, and right smack in the middle of the day, I do two hours of reading. Okay. So I, I just like read. Yeah. And that reading fills you up, mm -hmm. it refreshes you. And then in the afternoon, then I go back and I do rewriting and add to the writing. And what I always find is that any time I have any moment where I'm confused or puzzled or difficult getting started, I just read. Mm -hmm. Just a 15 minute read of something I love. Before long, those words are flowing through my mind and they're generating ideas. Mm -hmm. And then I'm, I put the book down, I'm off to the races. Yeah. So one, I don't worry. Mm -hmm. I just do what I love to do, which is read. That's awesome. Um, have any books jumped out recently in the past couple months as, as a book that you just absolutely loved? I'm just. This is more so me just, just trying to look, look for book recommendations, to be honest. Um, I, I, I um, read all of Joy Williams's short stories, mm -hmm. which I really love her yeah. short stories, and. Uh, and a novel called Eileen. Okay. And I know I'm going to mispronounce the one's because it's like That's okay. Mushfe. That's okay. But, but the novel is Eileen. Very, very interesting writer. And, uh, and, and I liked that an awful lot. And um, I, I've been rereading poetry. Mm -hmm. So I read uh, and, and some, some recently some friends, poets that, that died recently. So, so Bill Knott's mm -hmm. work. Uh, which I think he's a great poet. Franz Wright, he's a great poet, and I'm rereading all of his poetry. And Tom Lux, I'm rereading all of his poetry. And now, um, and you know, and now there's just been so many more people that you know we're kind of losing along the line. And I kind of have a feeling that I'm going to go back and reread a lot of books I've read yeah. already. It's time to pick them up again. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, nostalgia is always a good thing as well. Yeah. So. Um, last question for you. What do you hope readers really of any age take away from reading your books? No. Oh. I think what, I, what I'm really interested in, in, in leaving inside the reader, mm -hmm. is I, I want, when a reader reads one of my books, I want them to have that experience where they feel as though they are part of the book. Yeah. That when they're reading my book, that they're having an emotional experience, not just a visually, an interior visual experience in the journey, but I want them to have an emotional mm -hmm. um, experience that is very articulate, you know, so that when they finish the book, they can really explain to themselves, how did I feel when reading that book? And then when I walk into the next room, when I put that book down and walk into the next room, I feel more articulate to myself. I feel smarter, I feel more aware. And I want the readers to have a very sticky experience <laughs> when reading the book, so that when they they uh, they they consume my book, they you know it's not a tool. They consume the book, but when they finish that book, that that book leaves them just on an up note. That is beautiful, Jack. Thank you so much for joining us. No, today. thank you very much for having. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.